Well, good morning. When I read the reports I get from the persecuted church, I realize that God is systematically and relentlessly separating us from this world system. And he's making us more into a church uh, of the end times. And we're so thankful for that. We are going to continue our study of the life of David. And before we do that, I want us to pray for Jack Taylor. Um, Jack um, has been fighting congestive heart failure, was in the hospital just a little while back, and um, is having serious trouble um, processing the medicine. He's having trouble mentally with the medicine processing and keeping his balance. And um, it's, it's basically a, this is, this is what keeps you alive kind of medication that he's taking, but it is not working well for him. And uh, Frida has asked us to pray, and Jack as well, has asked us to pray for God's healing and helping touch uh, to be upon him. And we want to take just a moment right now, just a, just a minute or two, to pray for Jack. I, I want you to take these requests, the persecuted church, Jack Taylor, I want you to take this from here. But um, right now, let's agree together in this service. Father, we come to you on behalf of our beloved Jack. Thank you for all that he has been to us individually, to me individually, to us as a church, as part of the Word, Spirit, and Power team. We're asking for the healing and helping power of Jesus to settle upon him. Now, Lord, when we're in situations like this, sometimes we don't know how to pray because there's a time for us to go to heaven. And, and, and going to heaven is not a bad thing. We just want to know that we're walking with your timing. And we're asking you if you are willing to spare Jack, but Lord, let him be spared to have clarity of mind, strength of body, and uh, clearness of purpose. Father, whatever you do, we know he is in your hands. There's never been a moment that he was not in your hands. So we as a church, we lift up Jack. We pray for Frida, for Tim, for the whole family. We ask for the grace of God to move into that situation. And Father, uh, I heard somebody say one time, it's a weenie prayer to say, your will be done. That's, that's one of the top most foolish things I've ever heard in my life. How in the world is it a weenie prayer when we don't know the purposes and plans of God for us to say your will be done. So we say today, your will be done. We ask for the purposes of God to be established, the will of God to be established. And we pray that the grace of God would be felt sustaining in this situation as you take us to the next place. Now, Father, we also pray for Randy Valamont's family. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Randy was a prominent pastor in Georgia and significant work for God. Uh, Randy, um, in his late 50s, uh, passed away unexpectedly. It's difficult for his family, for his church. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would touch that church today. I know they are meeting with grief. Last week they met with no anticipation of difficulty. Today they're meeting without their pastor. 
and we know he's in heaven, but Lord, we pray that you would sustain his family. We pray that you would help the church to be the church, to love on each other and to, and to, and to shine for you during very difficult times. We look to you for this, Lord. Um, we're asking you, Father, I think, I think things like this are reminding us more and more of how dependent we are on you and how you are able to even use hell against itself. You are in control. May we never pray from a perspective of defeat. May we never pray from a perspective of, of doubt. Uh, but Lord, you rule over all. Um, we, we so many times can see your hand in this, that, and the other. And there are so many times we don't see your hand, but we trust your heart. We trust that you're moving when we don't know how you're moving. So we pray for Jack. We pray for Randy's church. We pray for those like the Pikes and others that are, are struggling with their own losses, those that are sick here. Father, we believe that uh, you are Lord over all and we just, we recommit ourselves to it and we give you thanks. Be our grace, be our protector, be our provision, be our sovereign. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, let's get into the word today. Now, last week and this week, I told you were uh, a period in David's life. It's not hard to understand, but it's, it's difficult to preach because it's, it's so much is happening so fast. It's, it's like um, in these uh, few chapters of David's life, it's either like you've got to camp at every event and take three months to get through a few verses or you've got to find a way to get the, the overall lesson out of it. That's what I've been trying to do. Last week, we ended uh, the, the early part of David's life. We, we met him when he was a teenager, probably 17 years of age, uh, give or take. Um, we ended a couple of weeks ago with David uh, after spending 10 or 12 years in the wilderness. David finally is set to become king. He's 30 years of age. And last, year, last week, we began to see David set things in order for his kingdom. Now, David is going to spend seven years in civil war. Um, the, the two kingdoms come to him and make him king, uh, Judah. The other kingdom, the other tribes rather, I'm sorry, the other tribes uh, cast their lot in with the remaining son of Saul, Ishbosheth. And the Bible says that the house of David grew stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker. And after seven years, David is made king over all of Israel. Now, last week we said, um, now I know that you're not a warrior and you're not a king. So you've got to understand we, we look at the, at the principle, not the specific. And we said that when God begins to bring us to a place of destiny for our lives, you guys hearing me okay? I feel like I'm, okay, it, it must be me. I feel like I'm cutting in and out a little bit. Um, um, when, when, uh, when God brings us to the place of destiny for our lives, we may not be the king of a nation. We may not be a warrior that has 
seen his enemies fall. But when God begins to say, I'm elevating you and putting you into the place that I've talked to you about where you can serve me and be at your best. And you know what? We've talked a lot about destiny, but I want to say something one more time. We say it regularly, but I want to say it one more time. I want you to understand your destiny. There's a, there's a primary destiny and there's a secondary destiny. Your primary destiny is to live a holy life and go to heaven. Jesus did not die to make you CEO. Jesus did not die to make you comfortable or give you a bigger car. It, Jesus did not die on the cross to, to ease your suffering financially or otherwise. Now, all of those things can happen, but I want to tell you all of those things happen to the wicked as well. No, your primary destiny is to be a new creation, to know him, to love him, to serve him, and bring as many others with you on your way to him. But there's a secondary destiny. It has to do with uh, perhaps vocation, mission, ministry. Um, God says, hey, this is it. I'm going to get you to heaven. And on the way to heaven, I want you to serve me this way. That's your destiny. And sadly, many Christians never get past that destiny. They think that their whole life is wrapped up in how successful was I? How much money did I make? How much did I leave behind? But that's, that's secondary. That does not even compare to the glory that is going to be revealed in us because we are the children of God. But God does have a destiny for us. And when we begin to walk in that destiny and God begins to put things together, we said there's always gonna be enemies. There's, it may not be people, uh, but there's always gonna be enemies. There are always gonna be battles. There are always gonna be wilderness experiences. You can't inherit your destiny without those three things. It's the plan and the purpose of God. Now, um, we said that when you're going through that, then God begins to fulfill his promise as you pass the test of the wilderness. And we find out that uh, when you finally begin to see things lining up, you finally begin to see things lining up. What happens? It's like my brother when he was playing basketball in high school. He had a coach that just, he was, he was prehistoric. And um, just, just old school. And, and um, my, my mother uh, and my brother and I were in the kitchen one day. He had come in from running and he just kind of bent over like this. And my mother said, what is that on your leg? And my brother, he looked and he said, yes, yes. And he ran out of the room without explaining. My mom thought he had a tumor and needed to go to the hospital. What had happened is his coach told him, he says, you haven't run enough. You haven't worked hard enough until right above your knees, a new ridge of muscle begins to form. And his finally showed up. And he said, I've arrived. Well, that's kind of the way your walk with God is, you know. And, and mother was wonderfully happy when she found out he didn't have a tumor or anything. But it was just a, it was a, it was a muscle that had developed. And one day you'll suddenly discover your spiritual muscle has developed. Things begin to line up and it's ready for you to move forward. Now, when that happens, 
we said there are two things that you must tend to if you're going to live in your destiny. Because, and, and I'm not trying to just preach things over again, your destiny is not your destination. Your destiny is one stop in your destination. In fact, the central truth from today for today is your growth doesn't end with your day of destiny. It just takes on new form. Okay, so David did two things. Last week we talked about the first one. He says, for me to rule over Israel and make the analogy, for you to be everything God wants you to be, you must set your house in order. Now, we talked about that uh, quite extensively last week. This is the bane of a lot of Pentecostal and charismatic uh, ministries because we get our eye on the giftings, we get our eye on the signs and wonders, and we don't keep our eyes on things they need to be on. Uh, I think it was interesting and significant when Elijah, Elijah went to heaven in the chariot of fire, he gave a command to Elijah. He said, if you can see me when I'm taken up, you'll have the double portion. Now you say, well, that was easy. Just stick with him. It wasn't easy because when you start seeing heavenly horses, when you start seeing chariots of fire, when you start seeing gravity being defied, I tell you what, we look at just about anything except the master. And God is looking for a people that when the fireworks do start, when the giftings do start, when the miracles do start, there's a rare, rare person out there that can keep their eye on the master instead of on the signs and the wonders, instead of on the fire and the horses and the chariot. Because only when you keep your eye on the master do you see the mantle fall. And only when you can watch and track the mantle fall are you able to pick it up and go forward with a double portion. And that's what God is after in us. And loved ones, we in Pentecost have got to learn when God says, I've got a work for you to do, the first thing we do is get our house in order. We treat our children right. We treat our spouses right. We treat people right. We, we, we set our homes as homes of glory. And we understand that it, it's not a matter of which is best, the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. They're both ordained by God. And we can't make a decision, well, I'm going to walk in the fruit and you may walk in the gifts. That's never been the plan of God. The plan of God is for us to walk in both. So David started by setting his home in order. Now today we're going to talk about him setting the kingdom in order. Step one is always get your life in order. Because God will not bless a disordered life. Now he'll, he'll, he'll put up with a lot of stuff. He'll help us and drive us to the point where we begin to get things in order. But mark it down, loved ones, that is your priority. That is your priority. And I'm going to say it one more time, and then I won't say it again ever until I think of it. But we, we have got to stop being a movement that, that looks over bad interpretation of Scripture and looks over bad treatment of people and looks over disregard for our family. We allow our ministries to get by with all kinds of things because it's the glory of God that's on it. Yeah. 
Eh, we don't want to walk that way. It never ends up well and it's never right. So David is going to set three things in order uh, after he sets his home in order. He's going to set the overview of it is he's going to set his kingdom in order. He's going to, we're going to see him set things in order politically, militarily, and spiritually. Now, let me tell you what that looks like in our life. Um, politically, it means that we become stewards of our life. We're stewards of our life. Militarily, we become an overcomer. You know, loved ones, I will tell you, there's something wrong with us. I don't mean you're going to hell. But there's something wrong with a Christian that's been a Christian for decades, but they still have the same old problems they've had all their life. Now, I don't mean that we're hypocrites. I don't mean you're not going to heaven because you're always going to heaven by grace. But we are designed to start winning victories after a while. We're, we're designed to start being better than we were. So the first word is stewardship. The second word is being an overcomer. And the third word is being a worshiper. Last week... David teaches us, get your relations in order. Let your wife believe in you. Let your husband believe in you. Let your children believe in you. Get your house in order. And now as you start doing the work of God in your life, you need to steward the gift of God. You need to overcome enemies that have been victorious over you year after year after decade after decade. And you need to have a new level of worship in your life. David said, it's not enough to know I've got the favor of the Lord. I want the presence of the Lord. And so he's going to bring the ark into the place where he lives. Now, next week, you've got to understand, next, David's going to be enjoying the kingdom next week. We're going to be talking about missions, okay? David's just going to be off being king and whipping it bad guys. <clears throat> But, but today we're in chapters uh, 5 and 6. In chapter 7 through 10, the Bible describes years of blessing, an era of growth. David is seated in the palace and has rest from his enemies. He says, I want to build a house for God. And God tells him, this is the way we're going to handle that. And then David goes to war again and has victory after victory after victory. Then David says, I want to show kindness to the house of Saul. Justin, can I grab that water from you? And so he blesses the house of Mephibosheth. Thank you. And just like the devil, he attacks again. The Philistines are gone. The, the Ammonites are gone. Uh, or the other enemies are gone, but the Ammonites rise up and David wins victory over them. And um, in the chapters that are coming, David is going, David, you've got to understand in the next four chapters, we see what could be um, uh, the, the probably about a 12 to 15 year period where David enjoys success and he's king in, in, in righteousness. He's king in peace. We'll talk about that day when we get there. Then after that, we're going to see a bump in the road. And boy, was it a bump in the road called Bathsheba and the rebellion of his sons. That's, that's where we'll be going in a few weeks. But today, our, our time with David is understood when we read 2 Samuel 3.1. There was war between the house of Saul and the house of David that lasted a long time. Now Saul is gone. Jonathan's gone. 
Two other brothers are gone. But Ishbosheth, one of the other sons of Saul, continues to lead the rebellion. We talked about what happened last week the intrigue, the political intrigue, the assassinations. Um, it lasted a long time, seven years, as a matter of fact. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of God, or, or Saul, rather, excuse me, not the house of God, the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. To put it into perspective, our own civil war lasted almost to the day, 1861 to 62, 63, 64, 65, four years almost to the day. And here is a civil war with David that lasted almost twice as long. A vicious, deadly time. The principal characters are David, the Jebusites, and Michael. We're going to be reintroduced to Michael. Now, um, I, I'm going to be very concise once I launch, and I'm trying to decide the best way to launch this. Um, the central truth is your growth doesn't end with your day of destiny. It takes on a new form. You say, well, pastor, I thought once God blessed me, I, I'm there. You know, I'm, I'm there. You know, my daughter Molly and I went to the 100th anniversary of the Assemblies of God in Springfield a few years ago, 2014. We went there and um, we drove. We, it's, it's, a, it's almost 900 miles from here to Springfield. It was a long drive. Um, but we got there and I had a friend who works in the general headquarters he said, we haven't promoted this very well. And I said, really? I said, there's people coming from all over the world. He said, yeah, but we didn't explain things very well. And I, I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, do you see these lists of names right here? And I said, yes. He says, these are pastors and leaders from around the world that have never been out of their country before. They flew in and asked us to come pick them up for the service. I said, what's wrong with that? He says, they're in New York. <laughs> he said, they have no concept of how big America is. And he says, we have dozens of leaders from around the world that says we're out in the, they called us and said, we're out in the taxi line, come pick us up for the service. And he said, it's 1171 miles from that airport to where we're meeting. And it wasn't because they were stupid. It wasn't because they were primitive. They were just entering a, uh, an event that they had nothing to compare it to. And loved ones, so many times, we think we've arrived because we've gotten to New York. But we still got to get to Missouri. We've still got to, to walk out what God has brought us to. I don't know how they fixed it. I left quick because I knew he was going to ask for an offering. And uh, I'm teasing you. We did, in fact, give an offering to help with that. But uh, I, I'm just kidding, just being, being funny. The first thing we see about David. Now, now let, let, me, let me say this one other way. I grew up understanding, uh, I wasn't taught this, but it made sense to me that when you left Egypt and went to the promised land, the promised land was heaven. We sang all these songs about Beulah land and crossing over to the other side. And I just thought when we talked about the promised land, it meant that was heaven. But the, the land is not heaven. The land is the victorious life. Heaven is heaven. When God said, I'm going to get you out of bondage into the uh, wilderness, out of the wilderness into the land, he's not saying, I'm going to send you to the wilderness and take you to heaven. Now, that'd be easier for a lot of us. But what we've got is a situation 
where God says, I am going to get you out of bondage and I'm going to get you to heaven. But my plan for you is to live it out in the land of promise. The, the land is where you live out the promises of God. That's what we're striving for. We are to overcome and, um, and uh, we're, 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 we find out many surprising things along the way. One of the things we find out is not everybody's happy with you when you get into the land. Not everybody understands you when you get into the land. But David said, you know, if I'm going to inherit my destiny, there's three things I've got to do. It's this issue of stewardship, overcoming, and worshiping. Let's look at stewardship. And we see that manifest when David was the political Israel, uh, leader of Israel. Second Samuel 5, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we're your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. The Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. You will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. David is establishing a home base. Now, he, he, he could have gone, and you would have think he probably would have gone to Bethlehem, which is only about six miles from Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is the, it, Jerusalem is the dominant place in the whole area. In all of central Israel, there's no place like Jerusalem. Um, Bethlehem is a beautiful pasture land with gentle hills. Jerusalem is a city set on a hill. It's almost unassailable. Um, whenever anybody goes to Jerusalem from any direction in Israel, let us go up to Jerusalem. They're not talking about heading north. Jerusalem sits on top of a mountain. Whenever anybody leaves Israel in the Bible, it doesn't say let's go over or let's go down to or let's go up to. It's always let's go down to. Even when they go north, they're going down because they're leaving the mountain. David knew if I am going to have a, a city of of governmental purpose, if I'm going to have a stronghold of Zion, if I'm going to have a place that's called the city of David, the only logical choice is Jabus, uh, uh, previously called Salem, and it's, it's going to be called Jerusalem eventually, but he says, I'm going to make it the city of David. The only problem is the Jebusites still live there. And you're going to find out there are ites everywhere you turn. Ites. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. And that's because it was such a high, high city. They thought David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have use to the water. Uh, we'll, we'll have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That's why they say the blind and lame will not enter the place. David then took up residence. In other words, they didn't storm the city. That was almost impossible. David's men went in through the water supply. Some of, some of you that have been with us maybe on our first trip, you remember walking through that tunnel. I had told the SESL students, I said, the average man in Israel 
was about five and a half feet tall. And they said, really? It's like they didn't believe me. We got in that tunnel and every one of us walked like this. I said, I told you, told you, five and a half feet. David took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward. And here's verse 10. Here's what happened. He became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons. They built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Like Joseph, who remembered the dreams of long ago, David looks at what's going on. He says, it, it smells like my destiny. It feels like my destiny. It looks like my destiny. And David puts all of this together as Jerusalem comes under his control. And he finds, and he really, what he's doing is he says, I, I have received it from the Lord. Now I'm going to be a steward. You say, well, what, what do we mean by steward? Remember what the tithe teaches us. Remember what the Sabbath day teaches us. We are not our own. Our time is a gift from God. Our treasure is a gift from God. And we are to steward what God has given us. That's why we give him the first day of the week. That's why we give him the first dime of the dollar. It's not just ritual. It's a primal act of worship. And people say, well, the Sabbath principle, that's, that's the law of Moses. The tithe is the law of Moses. Neither of them are the law of Moses. They are contained in the law of Moses. But both the, uh, the, the principle of Sabbath and the principle of tithe existed long before the law of Moses. It was God's way of saying, look, every breath you take is because I give it to you. Take a day a week to remind yourself and to teach your children, gift uh, life is a gift from God. Every dollar you earn is a, is a gift from me. And I want you to understand that I can give you more with 90% than you can manage with 100%. You are the steward. You say, well, steward's not too bad. It kind of sounds like a neat title. I'm the steward. Yeah, it comes from the old English word, sty warden, keeper of the pigs. You and I are keepers of the pigs except in the kingdom of God, we're keepers of the treasure that he gives us, okay? Now, David says, this is my destiny. This is my destiny. I've taken Jerusalem and I'm going to learn to steward it well. Number two, he shows himself as the military leader of Israel. God gives him two great victories. Now, David had won many victories before. Then he won a seven and a half year civil war. And God is about to give him two victories that absolutely changed the climate in Israel. And loved ones, that's why it's so important to us. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to sound metaphysical or, or metaphorical today, but I want you to understand there are principles. Keep doing what's right. Keep fighting those battles because you never know which battle is going to change the atmosphere. You never know which prayer is going to change the way things exist. You never know which day of perseverance and kind deeds are going to break the back of the enemy's attack against you and your family. Keep on keeping on. And David fights two great battles. He gets two great victories that change the climate of Israel. 
The Philistines had been David's enemies all of his life. Now they realize, boy, if David's king is king now, it's not only David we're fighting, it's not only his mighty men we're fighting, but now we're fighting all of Israel with David. And the Philistines uh, come together against him. David brings a great victory. Notice that the first thing he does when the enemy comes against him is he goes to the Lord. This is a lesson he learned. He forgot it in early days. But he's remembering it now. He goes to the Lord and the Lord says, go against them. And David went to a place called Baal Perazim. There he defeated him. And what David said was this, as the waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. I heard a message years ago called the breaker anointing. I heard it years ago and I did not like it. You say, well, why didn't you like it? Because the speaker was irritating. The speaker, the speaker had gifts, but speaking wasn't one of the gifts. I heard that and I, everybody was ranting and raving and I didn't like it. And I said, Lord, this is probably just me, but I'm not getting anything out of this. And the Lord told me to do something that he's told me to do a handful of times in my life. He said, file it away. We'll come back to it. And just a few days ago, literally a few days ago, the same speaker spoke on the same topic. This speaker said, I spoke, I think it was seven years ago on the breaker anointing and I think it was premature. You weren't ready to hear it, but you're ready now. And I'm like. <laughs> and that message this time came alive. The Lord was so good. He said, this is what the Lord said to me is from my journal. You may not like the way it was preached, but it's true. You may not like the way it was preached, but it's true. Now listen, because this is the time. And God said, I am sending forth a breaker anointing just as I sent upon David. David wasn't even part of, of this person's message that I remember, or at least not this story of David. And God said, I'm sending a breaker anointing upon people that have walked with me through the wilderness and have walked with me through the valley. They are about to break free from things that have held them in bondage. They're about to break free from things that have held them in consternation and confusion. And it's not because they have, have uh, figured it out, but it's because I'm sending the anointing that breaks the yoke. And every one of them are going to walk under a breaker anointing. My, my first thought was, I know that. <laughs> and right on the heels of that, my thought was, Lord, why didn't I listen to this seven years ago? Why didn't I understand what you were saying seven years ago? So David becomes the military leader, okay? So he says, I'm going to steward my life, okay? How are you on that? I'm stewarding my life. Here's the second thing David said. I am not going to let my lifelong enemies survive. Now, I don't mean go over to your neighbor's house today. <laughs> I, I, I'm not talking about humans. I'm talking about spiritual strongholds. I'm talking about spiritual cycles and patterns. David said, the enemy that I fought for 20 years, I'm not going to fight anymore. The enemy that I it began with that day, I met uh, Goliath in the Valley of Elah. I've been fighting Philistines ever since, but we are going to crush them now. And there's a time for certain battles to be over. Now, loved ones, don't misunderstand me. We're going to fight to the end of our lives. But you shouldn't be fighting the same battles you were fighting as a young man when you're middle-aged. 
And you certainly shouldn't be fighting the same battles you're fighting as a young man when you're old age. David said, when God brings my destiny, I am going to order my life. I'm going to steward my life. And I am going to deal a death blow to everything that has been a spiritual hindrance to me all of my life. And then we go to number three. He said, and I'm going to be the spiritual leader of Israel. Okay. Loved ones, you may know his favor, but God, that's what he's doing in our church. God is wanting to move us to the place where we desire his presence. It's one thing to, to know his favor. His favor, you look back on and say, oh, Lord, you helped me with that. Lord, you've been good to me. Lord, thank you for your favor. But it's another animal altogether to know that he walks with you. And he talks with you. And when you're frail, he carries you. And he puts his arm around you. That's what David was after. Um, David brought together all the young men of Israel. This is, this is Roman numeral three on your notes. Uh, and they went to Bela in Judah to bring up the ark of God, which was called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim on the, of the ark. Now, you know the story. We don't have time to read it all. They set it on a new cart. And the problem is that God said, this is not the way that you transport my presence. And I know the comparison is obvious, but it needs to be made. If you're serious about hosting the presence of God, it's not going to come because you found a new innovative way to do church. It's not going to come because you found some new way to serve the Lord, or you've suddenly got an insight from heaven where you delegate this part of the Bible to days gone by and this part to present day times. No, it's going to come when you move the ark the way it was designed to be moved. Now, you know what happened. They were moving the, the ark on the, on the ox cart. The oxen stumbled and a man named Uzzah, who as far as we know, was a righteous man. I, Preachers go to great lengths to try to find something wrong with this man. God killed him. There's got to be something wrong with him. I, I, I don't know that we see that. You say, well, he was just presumptuous. Was he presumptuous or did he see the ark about to fall and did he reach to steady the ark so it would not be desecrated? I, I, Uzzah is not the problem here. The problem is we never succeed when we try to move the presence of God on our terms using our manner and our methods. Well, Uzzah was dead. It, it, you know, if Uzzah had been an ungodly man, David would have said, well, I knew I shouldn't have put him on art detail. I knew it was, you know, he's just, he's just reaping what he sowed. David was so upset, he shut the thing down. Can you imagine how upset a pastor would have to be to say, we're just not even going to meet anymore until I give you notice. I'm so upset with the way God's moving. We just won't come together until I send you an email. That's the equivalent of what David did. And David noticed that the place where the ark was stored, the house of Obed-Edom, everything concerning the house of Obed-Edom began to be blessed. In other words, it was God saying, David, you're on the right track. Wherever the ark of the covenant is, that's my presence. And wherever my presence is, there's double blessing. You need to go back and readdress what happened. And, and, you know, it's like somebody told me the other day, I, I was on a trip, just, uh, I thought I was sharing the gospel, found out he was a Christian. He asked me where I pastored and I told him, he said, you're, in, you're one of those uh, uh, Holy Spirit churches. 
And I said, well, we're Jesus church, but we believe in the gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know, there's, there's one reason that I don't believe God still speaks today. He said, because if you believe God speaks, then you open the door to the possibility that people will just speak out of their own spirit and speak their own heart. And there's a real danger. And that's why I don't believe God speaks today. I said, well, let me me just be sure I got this right. I said, I agree with you that there's a danger that people speak of their own spirit. And people say, thus saith the Lord. And it's not, thus saith the Lord. I said, we deal with that all the time. He said, so you admit it. I I said, yes. I said, the difference is in the way we deal with it. We say, let's try the spirits. We say, let's examine this in the light of the scripture. I said, you have a a novel solution because we might misunderstand God. You just tell God he's not allowed to speak. Well, David was at that point where he said, okay, let's go back to the beginning. And he moves the ark very reverentially. David's wearing a linen ephod and they take six steps and they start sacrificing. Some scholars believe that every six steps they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. I I don't know if that's true or not. That would have been a long walk home. Uh, I mean, mean, it could have been, and, and David trying to be cautious, he could have done that. But David, when he realizes this is working, he's coming with us. David begins to dance and he's dancing in this ephod and an ephod was, would barely cover you. And, uh, and, and so David, the probability is that when David was dancing before the Lord, he, he probably showed too much leg and just his wife was humiliated. Michael was humiliated. And this is what the Bible says. Uh, now, when they got there, David gave everybody bread and raisin cakes and food. It was a time of celebration. As the ark of the Lord, verse 16, was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And guys, this is a place where every marriage needs to be careful. You don't allow that to happen. You don't want in your marriage to get to the point where you might not say a word, but you look and you despise. You don't want that in your family. You don't want that in your friendship. You don't want that in a church. There's something sinister that takes place when you're doing the right thing, but in your heart, there's hatred. She despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord, set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty, gave a loaf of bread, cake of dates, cake of raisins uh, um, um, to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. And I loved ones, when, when, you, when you begin to walk in your destiny, one of the toughest things to realize is not everybody's going to be happy that you're walking in your destiny. Um, when I, let me just put it to you this way. I've, I've told you about my deliverance I received at James Robinson Bible Conference back in 1988. Um, but can I tell you that I, I, I was set free, but can I tell you that... Uh, I was, I was forgotten to be invited to every committee that I was on after that. 
I mean, I was on some pretty powerful committees and we were doing some pretty powerful things. But when word got out what my testimony was, all of a sudden, uh, I, my name just mysteriously disappeared from all the mailing lists. Um, I, I, I can count on one hand the number of pastors that did not think I was crazy. Now, that didn't mean everybody understood it. My wife, said, with tears in her eyes, said, I don't understand, but I, but I see something that I didn't see before. And, and it, it was a tough time. Not everybody understands. So David returned home to bless his household. So, okay, here's David. He says, I blessed all the households of Israel. I'm going to bless my own household because we have the presence of God with us. And Michael, daughter of Saul. And you know what you're going to find out? Three times in this chapter, Michael is called the daughter of Saul. She's not called the wife of David. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how did the king of Israel distinguished himself, to, or, or how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and the servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. Now we don't know if David was zinging her saying, you know, you're speaking as a king's daughter and Michael, you need to learn that you're a king's wife now and you need to let go of one order and embrace a new order because that's the will of God. He said, but basically he's saying, but it's your choice. I will become even more undignified than this. <coughs> what he was saying was, I'm going to continue to, to express joy and, and I'm going to continue to be in the presence of the Lord and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Well, you know what, that, that's a hard passage for us to understand in English. But what David was saying, he says, God brought me to this place. I'm celebrating God. And I suspect that as I follow the Lord in this new way with him living in my life, it's going to be embarrassing to me. It's going to be offensive to you. But people out there will be brought to the Lord. And here's how the story ends. Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, we don't know, again, three times daughter of Saul. That was very deliberate. Uh, she, she, she began as the wife of David after David married her. But after, after the, the sad state of affairs back in Saul's palace, she's the, she's the daughter of Saul. We don't know when it says she had no children to the day of her death. We don't know if that meant she was under some kind of curse and didn't have children. I don't know. The children of Israel viewed childlessness as a curse, but that's certainly not what the Bible teaches. There were many godly people that were unable to have children in that day and this day. That's the, that was not a curse of God. What it, what it probably means, at least it's a good chance of what it meant, is that David never had relations with her. David never went into her as his wife again. And therefore, she would have no children. But whatever, whether it was the hand of God or whether it was the act of David, Michael had sealed her fate. She was, she was royalty, but she was barren. I want you to think about that. It's possible to be royalty and be barren.
Now, what are the Christian life lessons? Let me give them to you quickly. If y'all have one flaw, it's you don't listen fast enough, and it really messes me up on Sunday morning. I'm teasing. Here's number one. Our key to growth is found in continued listening and obedience to the Lord. David continued to inquire of the Lord when something didn't go right. David continued to evaluate. David would learn that God doesn't always move the way he used to move. He defeated the Philistines once. And when he realized that he needed a knockout blow, he needed to take the Philistines out all the way. God said, instead of attacking them directly, this is what you do. Go around them. And when you hear the wind blowing in the mulberry trees, that's my signal to you to attack. So he, he inquired of the Lord. He evaluated the Lord. He embraced the Lord's battle plan. So our key to growth is found in continued listening obedience to the Lord. And lovers, let me say this, especially to those of you that are my age or older. Never let your claim to fame be only in the past. There are people my age that have spent 20 years on a quest and they've reached that quest and they think their life is over. They think their destiny is over. They think that I'm going to now write a book on how I did it and I'm going to live on the, the proceeds because I've, I've attained my destiny. And if, and if you'll follow my seven steps, you can attain your destiny too. Uh, loved ones, Caleb said, hey, I, there's more mountains to climb. There are more enemies to defeat. There are more battles to win. Uh, denominations can do that. Churches can do that. Ministries can do that. Pastors can do that. Families do that. Husband and wives, don't you say, well, I've been married 50 years. We're too old for that kind of thing. Rekindle the passion. Make your, make your 60th and 70th year the wildest years you've ever had in your life. Just be sure it's with your wife and your husband. <laughs> Never let your claim to fame be only in the past. Never let your marriage take the approach that says, we had our good old days. You know, those were the good old days, but these days are even better. Here's the third thing, very simple. The presence of God is a priority. David said, I've got the city. My enemies are conquered, but there's one thing that I must not let go undone. I must not let God move into my city so that I don't just celebrate his favor, I celebrate his presence. And here's the last thing. Never let the misfortunes of life poison you. This is a lesson from Michael. If people have done you wrong, like her daddy did her wrong, like David, I understand that we talked about this last week, I understand why David took her from her her love that was not really her husband. I understand why he did it, but David hurt her. If people have done you wrong, then refocus on mercy, faith, and grace shown to you by the Lord. I take you back to Leah. You remember Rachel and Leah, the two wives of Jacob. Jacob was such an idiot. You say, you shouldn't say that. Hey, his last name was Chitty, and I can say that about family members. Jacob loved Rachel, and, and I, know, I know that he was tricked into getting Leah as his wife. I understand all of that. 
But Leah spent almost all of her life just wanting her husband to say he loved her. Every time she had a child, maybe this will do it. This, this son will win his heart. I'll do this. This will win his heart. And Leah went through her whole life playing second fiddle to her sister. But you know what Leah did? She, she, she could have taken so many approaches that held Jacob at arm's length. But you know what she did? She kept loving. She kept having babies. She kept living in hope. Maybe this time. Maybe this son. Maybe this child. And you say, yeah, and she died unfulfilled. Well, I'm not so sure about that. And sometimes our victories come after we're gone. Because when it came time for Jacob to be buried, he did not, bury, or he did not have them bury him by, uh, by Rachel. He was buried by Leah. That was, that was a way of saying, I owe this woman. I, I, I did wrong to this woman. And Leah's life, are you hearing me? Leah's life won the heart of Jacob at the end. But Micah, Michael, do you know that you can survive the wilderness tests and remain barren? Well, we've got to stop because, again, as typical, you run out of time. <laughs> you are a steward. God is moving you to a place now where you manage well. You are an overcomer. You're not going to live in defeat any longer. You are a new worshiper. You are going to see God as never before and experience him as never before. We indeed are going to host the presence of God. You say, Pastor, I, I want to believe it, but it's been this way for so long. Well, there's one thing you've forgotten. It's the breaker anointing. It's God breaking forth in your life. It's God saying it's not going to be this way anymore. Do you hear me? God says it's not going to be this way anymore. It's not going to be like it was last year. It's not going to be like it was in that last relationship. It's not going to be like it was in that, that last battle. It doesn't mean you won't have battles. It doesn't mean you won't have setbacks. But there is an anointing of break upon you. The breaker anointing. And God, you say, well, what, what do you mean breaker anointing? God anoints you with the ability to accomplish what you've never been able to accomplish before. God gives you the anointing to break out of that bondage that you've been in, that you've never been able to break out before. Would you stand with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this precious congregation. Oh, Lord, how these people love each other, how they love their pastor. and Lord, how they love you. Thank you for this moment. And I'm asking, Father, for us to receive a breaker anointing. I don't want them to have to wait seven years because I preached it poorly. I don't want them to wait seven years because I didn't say it as clearly as it should have been said. I ask you to break through every hindrance, every lie of the devil, every wall that Satan tries to build. Give us the breaker anointing. And Lord, we may not understand how it will happen. We may not understand what you will use to make it happen. We may not understand what you will change in our job that's a witness to it to happen. But Father, we're moving forward with a breaker anointing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Loved ones, this is what I want us to do. Obviously, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please come. And when a ministry team comes to you, tell them you want to know Jesus. But if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I don't understand all of it. And I don't know how God's going to do it. But I want that breaker anointing over my life. I, I, I want that breaker anointing in my life so that, so that walls that have not crumbled begin to crumble. So that chains that have been, been fast now begin to break off of me. I, I, I want the breaker anointing so that I can see God begin. It's like a river that has finally pushed its way through a mountain and is coming out on the other side. Father, I want a breaker anointing. And it's not for stuff. Lord, I'm not even going to pray for a breaker anointing for stuff. We're praying for a breaker anointing for you for you. And then stuff will take care of itself. You said that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All the stuff will be added to you. This isn't about stuff. Father, we want to break through. If you want to receive the breaker anointing, would you just come and find yourself a place around the altar? I want to pray for you. And then I'm going to, I'm going to let you just worship.